102.5 FM, KXSFLP San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. Today I'm talking with Christina Maslach, a leading expert on burnout. The impact of her research on burnout has been recognized by the World Health Organization. We will be talking about what exactly burnout is and how to address it. If you are feeling signs of burnout, this is an important episode for you. Thank you for joining me on Spark today, Professor Maslach. I'm pleased to be here. How would you describe burnout, both psychologically and physically? Well, burnout is a response to chronic stressors. Uh, I've studied it in the workplace, so it's really more sort of focused on that, although people have argued it can be a response to stressors anywhere, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But it's a response to chronic, everyday, constant kinds of stressors, uh, and it arises because in some sense that chronic stress is not being well managed either by the person or by the environment, the organization, the place where he or she might be working. And what we see happen with burnout are essentially three intertwined things. One is they experience a stress response, which is exhaustion. It can be both physical exhaustion. Uh, it can also be a kind of emotional exhaustion. You know, I can't take it anymore. I don't want to hear another voice, another thing happening. But it's more than just exhaustion. I mean, if it was just that, we would just call it exhaustion. But with burnout, more than that happens. And what hap- the second uh, aspect of it is a kind of growing, negative, hostile, cynical, real cynicism and, and distancing uh, from the job and, and the people and the place and everything that's going on. And so rather than focusing on how to do your very best, you're f- trying to figure out how to do the bare minimum and get out of there. And that obviously has important consequences for how you behave, how you do the job, so the quality of the work begins to deteriorate. And then the third aspect that can also come along with that is not just a negative uh, outward response towards um, what's happening around you, but a negative response to yourself. What's wrong with me? I'm not good enough. I'm can't handle this work. I don't want to be here. I've made a mistake taking this job, whatever those kind of things are. And that can lead to long-term depression or anxiety and things like that. So it's those combination, really, of those three things that defines burnout. You talked about this connection that comes with burnout. Can you mm-hmm. describe what's going on with this connection? Well, it's a, it's a, a kind of a thing that you're getting overwhelmed by The work, not just the demands, but also the quality. It can be difficult. It can be stressful. It can be uh, emotionally charged. So a protective device for that is usually to kind of distance yourself and be a little more neutral and not as involved. Okay, you're, you're going to talk about the patient in terms of their room number or, or their disease rather than 
uh, Mrs. Sanchez or something like that. So you make it less personal. It's like almost detached concern, dehumanizing it a little bit, making it something that you're not going to get as emotionally involved in. And that may be a way to help you get through all of the things that are necessary for you to do. The danger is that it can go too far where you get to the point of saying, I don't give a damn about anybody or anything. I just want to be out of here. You you can't actually get away, but you try and get away or distance yourself as much as you can. And that, that, again, as I said before, can lead to a real change in how you treat people, how you handle the tasks, arriving late, leaving early, all the kind of things that you can cut back on your involvement in the work. So that's really what the disconnect or the detachment is really all about. It can sometimes be a very protective thing to do, particularly for certain kinds of occupations. If you're, you're a police officer, if you are first responders, if you are uh, working in very difficult medical emergency situations, it's, it's hard to deal with all of that all of the time. So trying to, in a sense, have a kind of a psychological armor on to, uh, so you don't get overwhelmed by it can be a way of coping with all of this, but when it goes awry and goes too far and too much and has negative consequences for people around you as well as for yourself, that's why we then call it burnout. So it sounds like disconnection is going to lead to negative impact to those around you, including those in your personal lives as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, often with uh, the interviews that I would be doing, not just with the person, but his or her family, you know, spouse, kids, neighbors, et cetera, friends. When that person would be coming home, sometimes it would be like, don't talk to me. I don't want to hear another problem. I don't want to hear anything. Shut the door and go in another room kind of thing. I don't want to even be involved. I don't want to, you know, with anybody. I just need peace, quiet, get away. So it can take its toll on your personal life, clearly, because you bring it home rather than trying to leave it where it was or having some way of uh, transitioning so that you get out of all of this, take some extra time, do something else, read a book, take a hike, play hoops with some friends or something that will get you in a better frame of mind to take on the rest of your life, really. You have mentioned that people tend to question themselves as well, where they're asking, what is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Why do we do this? Why do we think it's us? And why are we questioning ourselves? There's a couple of reasons. One main one is that for a variety of reasons, people keep viewing this as some kind of a, a health condition, a medical disease. It's like instead of having a cold or having COVID or having the measles, you have burnout. And they talk about diagnosing it and symptoms for it and treatment for it and all this kind of thing. The World Health Organization, when it's defined the burnout last year as an official recognition, they call it an occupational phenomenon and said it is not a medical disease and shouldn't be treated like that. So once you have it, people start thinking of it as a disease and it's inside the individual. So it must be something about me. So that's, I think, one kind of thing. And a lot of people also, in viewing it that way, are likely to point the finger. Well, what's wrong with you that you can't handle it? I can see other people who aren't experiencing it, so it must be you. That's another part of it. So we have a lot of individual kind of thing where we're, we're focusing on what's wrong with that person and treat that person rather than taking a sort of, in a sense, a more epidemiological kind of thing and saying, if we're seeing lots of people coming down with this kind of experience, 
what's going on in that environment that's leading them all to have these kind of problems. So we really need to look at the context in which this is happening. And people don't burn out for no reason. They don't burn out just all by themselves. There's things going on, those chronic stressors in the environment. People may have different ways of coping or they may have different ways of trying to respond to it or they're in better or worse situations in terms of dealing with all of this. Those can be factors. Uh, So I'm not saying the person has nothing to do with it. Of course they do. But to blame oneself, there's a lot of things in the world around you that can help point the finger and you end up doing it yourself as well and saying, "If, if it's not working well, then I'm to blame and I have to fix it or I have to get out of here or it's it's only up to me. It's very individualistic kind of approach, which is very American, I must say. <laughs> so you've heard that phrase, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen, rather than saying maybe it's really too hot in the kitchen for people to do good work. So why can't we start looking at what's causing the problem there? So in the burnout, we're more likely to internalize the feelings of there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And rather than looking outside and looking at the environment and saying, what is really affecting me right now? Yeah. And from a holistic standpoint, what does contribute to that, let's say, in the workplace to start? Well, workplace, home, I mean, what we have found so far, and when I say we, there's many researchers who've done work on this. So, But what we have found is that there is at least six areas or domains in which the notion of a better or worse fit between the person and the environment is really critical. And when the fit is poor and is really not working well, there's not a good fit between the person and the job, you're going to see a greater risk of burnout. It's not that it has to be perfect match, not at all, but the worse it gets in any one or more of those six domains, we see real problems with people dealing with burnout down the road. My sense is part of it is we need to be looking at those six areas wherever we are and trying to find what which of those seems to be doing okay And where could we actually think about making some kinds of changes? That would be one thing, I think, to to make it clear that it's not just me or just an individual. But it also would open up, I think, and this is another important point, open up a realization that you're not alone in this. It used to be there was such a stigma about burnout. People wouldn't speak up. They wouldn't talk about what they're feeling and, and doing. And part of it was then saying that adds to the isolation because you look around, everybody is saying, I'm fine, I'm doing okay. What's wrong with me? I'm the only one. Well, it turns out we call it pluralistic ignorance. Everybody's putting on a face to say, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay, really. The face you show and so what everybody sees is we're doing okay when in fact behind that, a lot of people are saying, I'm having problems. Once you know that there are many others and that there are others maybe in your unit or your clinic or wherever you happen to be, then it changes the problem to not just what's wrong with me, but how come we are having some struggles here? What could we begin to do or think about or ask for or work on that would get us to a better place? And then those six areas, which I can describe briefly, will would kick in and those would give you starting points to sort of think about where to look for potential problems and potential solutions to them. Is it because people feel that their workplace won't address their issues or is it because they feel like they can't raise these issues? They're waiting for the workplace to recognize that they're burnt out. Yeah, 
It could be both of those, and we've seen all kinds of variations along those things. But in both cases, waiting for the workplace to recognize that you're burned out or waiting for the workplace to do something about it is essentially saying, I have no power, I have no control over what I'm doing. Somebody else is going to have to fix it, and I'm helpless, and I'm just going to have to wait, or I'm going to have to walk at some point if I can somewhere else. Control, it turns out, is one of those six areas where you feel you don't have adequate autonomy and say and discretion over how I do my job and that there are things that I can take on and use and come up with creative solutions or make the whole thing better and so forth. So control, uh, that autonomy is one of the key areas where the fit between people and the workplace is, is crucial. And when people are feeling out of control, that they have no say, that they are helpless, that somebody else has to take care of it and they're not sure it's going to happen, that can lead to burnout for sure, and be part of the problem. The other areas I just want to mention, another one is the one people always think about, which is workload. You have way too many demands and not enough resources and time and whatever to do them. And that certainly is tied into the exhaustion part of burnout. But it turns out often the other five areas are, are more critical for burnout. So I mentioned one is control. Another one is reward, positive recognition. It's not just money or benefits. It's that people notice and care and let you know when you've done something good. It's positive feedback. And does that happen periodically when you deserve it or not? Another area we're seeing a lot of uh, importance more recently than in earlier years is what I'll call the workplace community. And that's really all about the relationships you have with other people on the job, your colleagues, your boss, the people you supervise, clients coming in or whoever, patients. And when there is support, when there are ways in which people can work effectively together to resolve problems and move forward, that's great. If you get bullying, if you get lack of civility, if you get put-downs, if you get really hostile, throw people under the bus kinds of issues, that creates a very toxic social environment and burnout will. Uh, we also see that there are uh, another area of fit is fairness. Whatever the rules are, whatever the processes are, whatever we're doing here, is it fair in terms of who does what, who gets promoted, discriminated against, or treated fairly, and so forth? So that's a huge one. And then finally, um, there's an area that we talk about is values, you know, or meaning, which is what's important and why am I here doing this and what do I take pride in and am motivated to do well because of something really, the value of the work that I'm contributing and so forth. And when people are put in really bad positions in terms of ethical dilemmas and doing things that are not really right but doing wrong and I can't look at myself in the morning knowing what kind of job I'm going into and what I'm going to have to do, that kind of thing, then again, we see greater risk of burnout. People can get together with other colleagues as well as asking and, and talking to managers or other people. It's going to be really important to try and address these issues more uh, collaboratively in terms of getting some positive change. So what you're saying is that if it's a workplace issue, the mm -hmm. best way to identify it is to talk openly with others there to see whether yeah. other people are experiencing the same concerns. Yeah. And hopefully from there you can raise those concerns and shift the pressure that you're feeling because it's coming from the workplace and the workplace has to make those changes. Yeah, and but what it, it's a person job fit, so it still means you have to be a partner in this and in the sense of it's not either or, which is I think what people often say, is it the job? or you know, the workplace, or is it the person? And it's really 
not either or, it's both. So when you are able to have better conversations with colleagues that you you trust enough that you can talk and as opposed to they're going to put you down if you say you're having any issues or problems or struggling or whatever when you do that you may in fact learn that they're doing something a little bit better than you or they have some other kind of strategy that works more effectively or that it could be ah if we all recognize if we changed the workload and did this first in the morning the rest of the day would go a little better find some collaborative solutions where you help each other out and essentially be part of that. Part of what we're seeing in that area of community, the social workplace, is that in recent years, there's been a much greater emphasis in a lot of places on really a culture of fear. People say, I wouldn't dare speak up. I wouldn't, you know, say anything to anybody like that. I'm sort of stuck on this problem and I really want to sort of just talk to somebody and see if we can kind of figure out something because they're going to put me down. They're going to say, hey, you're not so good. You're not so smart. You know, what's wrong with you? And you're damaged goods, kind of. So people are, again, keeping a lot of this hidden in some sense, which makes them feel isolated rather than being in an environment where they feel, I know other people. I trust them. They trust me. They'll have my back. I'll have theirs. We can work together to whatever the problems are and sort of figure something out. If you're working in an environment where you're afraid to show anything less than 100% or 150%, that's going to stifle that kind of community, that kind of positive feedback and constructive feedback, a lot of those kind of things. It sounds like you have to be really good at drawing boundaries. Sure, absolutely. One of the things with hearing often from people who are doing better at coping with some of these stressors than than others would be that they had all kinds of ways and when they would set boundaries between their work and between their home life, their neighborhood life, whatever, you know, everything else that was going on um, in their life. And it's kind of like a decompression. If you think of if you're in one environment as a deep sea diver and you don't just jump out of the water as fast as you possibly can, you have to have to take it a little bit more slowly and decompress until you're back up on land in a different environment. Well, people often set boundaries in the sense of sometimes they don't set them. Sometimes they are set by other things like you have a commute between work and home. It's time to listen to music or the radio or nothing or just gives you time to get your head out of what was going on in the office that day. Or you're walking or biking or something. Or you're sitting in the park and taking it easy. People would say, I don't take the first bus or BART. I I wait a little while and, and do something else to sort of calm down and, you know, get get relaxed and get in better shape. Having a boundary that sort of, or a transition period between these kinds of environments is really, really helpful. It becomes more challenging when you have to work at home. Then those boundaries get really blurry and you really sort of consciously say, wait, I'm working now, and but I'm going to have other time where I'm definitely not going to do anything but be with the kids or cooking something in the kitchen or going out, whatever it might be. And that's true not only for work home, but boundaries between work time, we usually think of the nine to five, Monday through Friday versus the weekend. What are the boundaries for the weekend so that, you know, you're not doing work those hours? And then there are a lot of ways in which people would use hobbies, things they enjoy doing, and really working with their family and friends to say, okay, look, don't bother me here right now, but over here, I'm all yours. And, and really create those kinds of things that protect 
all the time you have to do very different kinds of things. What you're saying is that you have to be very good at setting boundaries to protect the space and time that you need for yourself. Oh, sure. You often have to ask other people to partner with you on that. Yes. But are you finding that people are having a hard time setting boundaries with the people they work with? Well, it's what they work with, but also who they live with, your family or your friends or your roommates or whatever. They can also be part of setting the boundary. This is when you're going to go do your pottery class that you've always wanted to do. People respect that and don't bother you then. I'm seeing many people posting online about their burnout Mm-hmm. Are you seeing this across industries? Yeah, yeah, it's it's happening everywhere. And but the thing is it's a very popular term. It's a term that is popular because people feel it's easy to apply to things that they may be experiencing. It's not clear that they're always talking about the same kind of thing when they uh, use the term, I'm burned out. But the other thing that happens in terms of the popularity is it gets attached or glued on to other things. So now you hear COVID burnout, working at home burnout, all of those kind of things. And, And we would hear, you know, we hear CEO burnout. We hear about managerial burnout. Uh, We hear midlife crisis burnout, millennial burnout. I mean, so burnout is being attached to all kinds of things. And what that essentially is saying to me, again, that's, that's not the same as looking at it as a personal issue, a health concern, a depression or something like that. It's really what I think of burnout really is more important as is really as a red flag warning. It's saying there's something wrong here you know, in the environment and, and you know what we're doing and how we're living. And it's causing this kind of inability to deal with all these chronic daily all the time stressors, wherever those might be. And across these different groups as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Sure. So that's why, for me, for burnout, it's not about fixing the people who are saying it. What is the fact that it's happening and that people are talking about this? What is that saying about what else is going on to cause these kinds of issues? What is it about millennials that we need to call it burnout? What is it about working at home that we're calling that burnout or something like that or parent burnout or whatever. If I can use a different analogy, if you think about miners going down in the coal mines and would send down a bird, a canary, in a cage first, and if the canary had trouble breathing, that was a sign that something was toxic, something was not healthy, and you needed to fix the mine conditions before you sent the miners down. It's not about fixing the bird and making it strong and tough and it can take whatever is going on down there. It's telling you it's a sign of something else that's important that is that you need to respond to. And I think really at some level, the more that people are talking about burnout and focusing on it and trying to say this is, I'm trying to capture what I'm, I'm having to deal with, life that we're all having to deal with, is a sign that there are other things that are, the world is changing. It's getting uh, more demanding. It's getting more stressful. You have less control over it, all of these kinds of things. And we need to really pay attention to how are we going to make continuing improvements and adjustments to how we do work to make it healthy enough and productive enough that people will thrive rather than get beaten down. So we need to start thinking about this and working on it. But it sounds like we need to address it at the societal level. Yeah, but it really means looking at it in terms of a larger social societal kinds of issue. And it could be 
not just the whole society, but what I'll call the more many societies within different groups and organizations and occupations and so forth. You might have to do if you're working in a hospital as a healthcare person, it will be quite different than if you're working as a teacher in a school. Well, the question is whether we have a culture of burnout, right? That burnout is okay. You expect it to work hard. Yeah. Some have argued that. I think it sounds too simple in some ways, but what it means to me is what is it about the larger culture or the larger environment? What are the assumptions we're making and acting on that may be causing some difficulties for for people to actually rise to the occasion and and contribute and do the kind of thing that they can they can do in whatever function or job that they're in. So it's really trying to take it apart a little bit more to understand what's what's going on in that context. And it's not a brand new issue. I mean, there has been tons of work by all kinds of people in many many different professions about what's going on in workplaces for many decades now. And there's a huge volume of research and evidence that shows that there are key factors that can make workplaces very unhealthy, bad places for human beings in them. And we've known that. We know where we can start. We know what we might do. But it always runs up against, well, but we have to do that in order to make a lot of money or you get every, be very productive or something. Stress has not been around or something for a long time. It has. But it hasn't been viewed as something that we really need to address more seriously. And, and I, I don't know if it, at this point, uh, as we're going through the pandemic and all kinds of other things as well, that we're going to pay more attention to these issues because we're, we're going to have to. The question yeah. I have is, it seems like technology is making this worse in the sense that you're always connected. You can always be connected to work 24-7 mm-hmm. if you allow yourself. That's where you're having problems with issues of control. And boundaries and, and, and setting those kind of things. So, yeah, that can be a factor. I mean, the ironic thing is the, there's incredible connection through technology, but it's not always positive connections, you know, in the sense of having social connections and relationships and people you can talk to and learn from and help out and all that kind of thing. People often talk about feeling very isolated. I have no one that I can really talk to, even though I'm getting all these demands coming constantly all the time and I can't get the work done at the work so I have to take it home and take another chunk of my personal life. What would be your top five recommendations for those who may be feeling that they're getting there and that they're sensing they're going to be heading for a burnout? One of the the important things is to figure out how you can connect with other people that you can actually trust and work with and share what's going on and, you know, put your brains and heads together on this. But trying to do it all by yourself all the time is not enough. I mean, yes, you can do things to try and keep yourself getting enough sleep and eating well and staying healthy and, you know, all of those kinds of things. You're going to need other people in the workplace, in your occupation, good friends, mentors, etc., to really put some of these issues on the table and sort of figure out where can we go from here to make things a little bit better? What are some of the little steps that we can take? And they're often, because these are chronic issues, these are, you know, things where you have to deal with the fact that this is there all the time and you're going to need other people. So that making 
collaborating, if I can say that, is, is really going to be a crucial kind of thing. A second thing I would say is that as you collaborate and, and try and, and talk with others and get whatever kind of informal groups or formal or whatever, how do we make some improvements here? How can we change things given what we're dealing with now? The other thing is to customize and make it your own. People are always looking for a solution that's a best practice. And if we just do that, everything will be fine. Well, as I said before, the best practice for education might be very different than best, the same best practice in healthcare. You have to adjust it and, and make it fit, make it work again in terms of the fit between people and the job. Third thing I would say is keeping at it and not giving up after maybe the first one doesn't work so well. There's a way in which there has to be a commitment to say, we've identified a couple of problems. Where will we begin? What will be the first one? What will we need to do? And let's keep going until we've, we've got this thing wrestled to the ground and it's a better situation. Thank you for sharing your expertise and joining me on Spark, Professor Maslach. Thank you. I've enjoyed talking with you.